Father, open the eyes of our heart this morning. We long to have a deeper understanding of Jesus. And we long to have a deeper appreciation. We long for Jesus to be everything to us. And Father, my words are going to fall short of that. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would take over in this place. For Jesus' sake, thank you that this is a prayer that you delight to answer. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Tasha grew up, I imagine, wanting to be a mother. Tasha Trafford, she lived in the United Kingdom, and she had a dream of being a mother. Well, one day she got to be married, which is one of those steps on becoming a mother. And she got married, I believe it was 2012, and so they began to dream of starting a family together. But in 2013, she got some devastating news. Tasha Trafford found out that she had a rare form of bone cancer. Not our Tasha, another Tasha, don't worry, right? Tasha Trafford found out she had bone cancer. This was devastating because she had to undergo chemotherapy. She didn't even know if she'd get to live to enjoy her life, get to live to enjoy her marriage, let alone to have the privilege of becoming a mom. Can you imagine that longing in her heart? And maybe some of you feel that this morning. Maybe some of you have longed to be a mom. Well, Tasha was longing for that. And it reminds me of another person who longed to be a parent in a spiritual way. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul as he was there in Athens. One of the most fascinating chapters in the Bible, I think, is Acts chapter 17. I know I say that a lot, but all the chapters are incredible. But Acts chapter 17 Paul goes up to the Mars Hill and he sees the Oropic, he sees all of these foreign gods that are being worshipped foreign to him. There, there's all types of idols and temples and things that are there. And as he sees these things, he decides that he's going to help them to see how beautiful God really is. And I love to read that sermon because that sermon goes through all of the ways that God has been blessing those people even though they don't realize it. He says, this is the unknown God, the one who's been sending you rain, the one that that has been guiding the boundaries of your habitation, the one that in him you live and move and breathe and have your being. That God, even though you've been worshiping all these other gods, he's been watching out for you all this time. And this beautiful sermon at the end of it, well, let's find out what happens. I want to invite you guys to open your Bibles. It's important that we look at the, at our Bibles together this morning, but open your Bibles to 1st Athenians chapter 1. 1st Athenians chapter 1. And when you're there, go ahead and raise your hands. Put it on the screen. No, you can find it. Just look in the, look in the concordance. Uh, not the concordance, but look in the index. Right. There is not a letter to the Athenians in the New Testament. Why is that? Why is there no letter to the Athenians? Because there was not a large presence of Christians in Athens after Paul left. Though he painted this beautiful picture, he told all these amazing truths about a God of love, a God who was worthy of worship, a God who they did not recognize. Though he told them all these things, nobody wanted to be a child of that God, or only a few decided to become Christians. How devastating that must have been as he traveled on and as he was pondering these things, he's going over in his mind what went wrong. 
And I'm not saying that Acts 17 is not an inspired chapter. I encourage you to keep going there to see what God is like because it's beautiful, it's powerful. There is a lot of truth there. But Paul recognized that there's actually not enough in that sermon. And he recognizes that in 1 Corinthians. So now you can actually turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we'll put this one on the screen because it's a little bit easier to get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians after he's been there, after he spent time in Corinth. He writes to them, and this is what he says about what he was going through as he came into Corinth. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with, what does it say? excellence of speech. I take a lot of hope in that. Paul wasn't coming to them as a great orator, right? I didn't come to you with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. I didn't come with philosophy. I didn't come as an orator. I didn't make it really beautiful. I didn't go through all these things to attract you to God. But what did I do? What did Paul do? Verse 2, For I determined, this was my set purpose, I wanted to do this more than anything else. I decided after what I saw happen in Athens, this is what I needed to do. For I determined not to know anything among you except, what does it say? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I determined not to know anything else except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Friends, this morning, is that enough? Can you found a church just talking about Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Is that a shallow gospel? Is that neglecting important truths? Is that enough to form all of our beliefs, all of our doctrines, everything that we believe about God? Can we get enough from Jesus Christ and Him crucified? Apparently, Paul thought so, and apparently there was a large church that came out of this, commenting on this in the book's Acts of the Apostles. It says this about the Apostle Paul. It says, in the preaching, in preaching the gospel in Corinth, this is page 244, in preaching the gospel in Corinth, the apostle followed a course different from that which he had made his, in his labors at Athens. While in the latter place, he had sought to adapt his style to the character of his audience. He had met logic with logic, science with science, philosophy with philosophy. He tried to meet them on their playing field. He tried to make everything possible about God appear beautiful. He tried to help them to understand. But then it goes on to say this. As he thought of the time thus spent and realized that his teachings in Athens had been productive of but little fruit, that's why I believe there was no letter written to the Athenians, he decided to follow another plan of labor in Corinth in his efforts to arrest the attention of the careless and the indifferent. He said, I've got a different plan. This time, I know what I'm going to do. He determined to avoid elaborate arguments and discussions and not to know anything among the Corinthians save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He would preach to them not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Friends, this morning I want to know, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus and Jesus crucified enough for me to share with my neighbors, to share with my friends? Is that enough for my personal walk? If I understand that, is that enough? What does Jesus have to say? John 14 and verse 6. Jesus responding about, hey, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus responds and he said to his disciple, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except 
through me. Repeat those words of Jesus with me because I want them to sink in deep to our hearts this morning. You ready? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. From beginning to end, every part of your experience is going to be through Jesus. And anything else is another way that does not lead to the Father. Any other truth that is found outside of Jesus does not lead to the Father. Jesus and Jesus crucified is enough if we believe what Jesus had to say. But not only that, if we look at the testimony of the Old Testament, Psalm 119 and verse 160 says this, The sum of your, what does it say? Your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. So the psalmist, he's in Psalm 119, he's going through all the things about the law of God. He's going through all the things about the Old Testament Torah. And as he's going through it, he says, the sum of all of your word, all the things that God says, is what? Truth. So if you were to add up every verse, every line, every chapter, and you were to put it all together, and you add it all together, the sum of that is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Your law lasts forever. Your righteousness endures forever. All of this truth is everlasting. So on the one hand, we have this in the Old Testament. We're saying the sum of your word is truth. And then in the New Testament, we have Jesus saying, I am the truth. Are they in conflict? Is there a difference here? Is, is Jesus superseding the Old Testament and saying, don't worry anymore about the Old Testament? Or is that what the Old Testament is all about? Jesus and Jesus crucified. John 5 and verse 39, Jesus talking to the scribes and Pharisees who refused to come to him that they could have life, says this, you search the scriptures. Is it a good thing to search the scriptures? It's an amazing thing to search the scriptures. I encourage it. For in them you think that you have eternal life. You think that through this word you're going to have life. In another place, Jesus basically says as much that, that the words that I speak to you, they are spirit, they are life. John chapter 6. So there is life that comes through the word of God, but only to this extent. You search the scriptures in them, you think that you have eternal life, and these are they which, what does it say? Testify of me. Everywhere you look in the Bible is about me, Jesus says. Now that can be hard to discern sometimes. When you open up to the Ecclesiastes, when you open up to Leviticus, and you're reading through all of these regulations, and you're saying, okay, I know this is talking about Jesus, but how do I see Jesus here? But the psalmist is clear. The sum of your word is truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth. And Jesus tells them, you search the scriptures because you think that you have life in them. And all of them are testifying of me. They're all pointing to me. Then he goes on to say this in verse 40. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You hear the heartache in Jesus as he's telling them this. You know, I've sent prophet after prophet, and they've, they've come, and Jeremiah came, Isaiah came, Moses was there. And, and you have the scriptures, and you, you read them, you, you search them looking for life. But you're rejecting me. You don't want a personal relationship with me. You're walking away from me. 
the only one that can give you the life that you're longing for. And this morning, I have to take a careful look at my own beliefs. What do I believe is important about God? What do I believe that my Bible teaches? And do every single one of those truths, does every one of those truths add up to Jesus? Does it lead to Jesus? Is the sum and summation of of everything that I believe, every biblical doctrine, every fundamental belief, do I recognize in those Bible truths Jesus? That it's leading me to Jesus. And if I don't, I'm missing the point. Not that I need to throw the truth out because the Bible is true. The problem is I haven't taken it far enough yet. I haven't gotten to Jesus. I haven't recognized how it leads me to Jesus if it's from the Bible. Is that making sense this morning? I don't want to be like the scribes and Pharisees where I search the scriptures. I know these things and I have facts. Because on that day when we're longing to be with Jesus forever and he comes back to take those who it says love the truth. Jesus said it's eternal life to, what, know God, know the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And on that day, in the judgment, when I stand before God, it won't be a question of how right I was about all these things. The question will be, did I fall in love with Jesus through all of these things? Is that making sense? Did Jesus become everything to me? Did I find in Jesus a full and complete Savior? Did I recognize that He is the way, the truth, and the life? We can worship on the seventh-day Sabbath and miss Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees did that. But if we recognize in the commandments the beauty of who Jesus is, then we can find Jesus in the midst of our worship on the seventh-day Sabbath. Jesus is clear. You didn't come to me in order that you might have life. And a little bit further in in John, he begins to tell us a picture, a little story, that's just a glimmer of something that we read about earlier in the Old Testament. Isaiah portrays this being of light named Lucifer, who was closest to God in heaven. He was there as the covering cherub. He was closest to the throne of God. And suddenly doubts began to rise in his mind about who God was. And what he had taught the universe about what was important. Can you imagine as this beautiful and holy being begins to question the God of the universe? Talking about that moment, Jesus says this in John chapter 8 and verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. He's talking to the Pharisees who are trying to kill him. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. You want to do evil. You want to follow in all these ways. But notice this. He was a, what does it say? A murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Okay, so I I need your help here. I need your participation here. What are the two things that you see here that he is describing about attributes of fundamentally who the devil is. He's a murderer, right? And he's a liar. These two things, somehow Jesus puts together as being basically one and the same. How exactly does that work? What is Jesus talking about here? He says, he's the father of all lies. He lied in the very beginning. And he's also a murderer from the beginning. 
how do these two things come together? And I believe they come together when we recognize that Jesus is the truth. We recognize that the law of God is actually just a transcript of God's character. What did it say? The sum of your word is truth. Now, can you imagine in that moment, <clears throat> as, as that first lie is told in the heavenly universe. And as the angels begin to pick sides and they begin to, to go in a different direction and, and eventually God has to cast a third of the angels out, Revelation tells us, from heaven. And as those angels are cast out from heaven, you imagine as the watching universe looks at planet earth, this new creation that's being formed and as it's created and there's new beings there, they watch and wonder, Will these be loyal beings? This is a special creation. God came close and formed man in the dust here. What's going to happen with these creatures? And they watch as that father of lies goes and tells them lies about who God is, about what his character is like, that he's actually holding something back, that he's actually selfish and self-serving and not self-denying like his law commands everybody else to be. And they watch as Eve takes that fruit and eats it and gives it to her husband and he eats it and they buy the lie. I can only imagine what that heavenly council was like when the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth called together the heavenly universe. You imagine as millions, hundreds of millions of angels, unfallen angels and beings come together. And as they come, they say, planet earth, they bought the lie. You can imagine the, the heartache that runs through each and every angel who wanted for them to get it right. And then imagine as, as, as Jesus comforts them and says, it's okay, there's a plan to fix this. He may have gone against the government, he may have gone against the law of God, but I have a plan to fix this. I'm going to go and I'm going to be born as a baby. You imagine immediately as the angels begin to protest, hang on, hang on, uh, uh, this is a good plan, but and I know you're powerful, but I'll go. <laughs> Why don't you send me? I'll be born as a baby. Now you don't understand how big this problem is. They need for a savior. <laughs> they need for God himself to come and live the law in human flesh so that they can recognize what is violated through sin. And then they need me to be their substitute, to lay down my life so that they can have life. Because really, what was Satan saying as he was defying the law of God in that heavenly throne room? As he was saying, hey, there, it's okay to be selfish. It's okay to go against the law of God. I don't have to love others above myself. Ultimately, what he was saying is, the God who says he is love is not and I wish that he would stop pretending. And through lying and saying that, he wanted that God to no longer exist. I don't know if this is making sense. But he's basically saying, I don't want that rule of government to exist on this, on, in the universe. And that's who God is. That's the reality of who God is. And in saying that I don't want for this to be the way that we live our lives, he's saying, I don't want God to exist. He's the father of lies who's also a murderer ultimately because he's saying, I don't want for God to exist. 
don't know if you're following that train of thought, but go back to John 8, 44 and keep looking at it and see that connection between him telling the lie and being a murderer. From the very beginning, he's the, the father of lies. And he's telling that from his, his own. He got it from himself. But Jesus, as he begins to tell, he says, no, look, here's what's got to happen. And in John 1 and verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then it goes on to say this in John 1 and verse 14, and the word became flesh. That truth, the, the one who is all of the commandments, who, who has lived a perfect love, who, when, when it says the summation of your word is truth, ultimately you could say that's who God is. And that God came down, it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, we don't just need objective truths about who God is. You imagine that the angels might have said, look, we're amazing singers. Let's get a hundred million angels and we'll all go down there and we'll sing about how amazing God is and it will change the hearts of people everywhere. Jesus says, that's not going to work. They say, well, hey, we have these angels who are amazing writers and they'll, they'll write books without end that will describe and talk about who God is. And God says, that's, that's not close enough. They need more than objective truths. What they need is a relationship with me. And so I'm going to come and I'm going to put all that word, all of that truth, and I'm going to make it into a human package. And I'm going to walk among them and they're going to see what selfless love is like as it's lived out. And I'm going to go all the way to the point where I go to the cross and I demonstrate on that cross what selfless love is willing to do. As I willingly take all of their sin, every single sin that any human being would ever commit, that includes you and me this morning, and I take that upon myself. The angels might be like, hang on, every single human being, are they all going to accept it? Are they all going to take advantage of this gift that you're giving them? No, no, but it needs to be that big. The gift needs to be big enough for everybody, that everybody could have the opportunity. I want everybody to have the chance of life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That, friends, is a love that is beyond precedent. In the book Sermons and Talks, volume 1, page 244, it says this, Shall we stand as a peculiar people of God? This is talking specifically to Seventh-day Adventists. Or shall we trample upon the law of God and say it is not binding? Like, should we say, you know, Jesus died on the cross to do away with the law? Is that what is taking place? And it goes on to say this, God might just as well have abolished himself. Okay, you get that? To say the law is done away with at the cross, Jesus was coming down to live the law. He was coming down to give himself, to lay down his own life so that he could fill us and live out the law in us so that we could experience loving God with all of our hearts and loving our neighbor as ourselves. God might as just as well have abolished himself. In the law, every specification is the character of the infinite God. 
I am the truth. All of these words Jesus told the Pharisees, every bit of it testifies of me. Come to me that you may have life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am what it's all about. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Well, one guy should have seen that. Pilate, as Jesus was standing there before him in John chapter 18 and verse 37, it says, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Here is Jesus standing before all of these being falsely accused. And here is this little guy. It's not even Caesar himself, but he's just a a ruler in Palestine. And he looks over at Jesus and he says, Are you a king? Are you kidding? Here's the king of the universe, the one who has hundreds of millions of angels who are bowing before him saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who had all power in heaven and earth, who laid that aside to come and take on human flesh. What kind of response will he give to a question like that? Are you a king, Jesus? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. And this is what my kingdom is all about. This is what it looks like. And this is how I am being a king here on planet earth. He says this, for this cause I was born, for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. He says this on the way to the cross. As he goes to lay down his life to demonstrate self-sacrificing love, he says, I came to show the truth, that the law of God is perfect and beautiful, that it cannot be kept outside of of a relationship with God. That I am the way, the truth, and the life. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. That's why Jesus came. He came to bear witness of this beautiful truth that God is love. And that's enough to get be confident about as we go through our lives. That's enough to have unending confidence in who our God is. Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 342, says this. Talking about the sacrifice of Jesus as he was willing to lay down his life to demonstrate that truth of self-sacrificing love. It says, at the cross, it was then seen that God had in his son denied himself, given himself for the sins of the world because he loved mankind. The creator was revealed in the son of the infinite God. Hear the question, can there be self-denial with God? That's the question that, that Lucifer was asking. That's the question that he was accusing God of saying, God can't deny himself. He can't be a selfless loving being. Can there be self-denial with God? Was forever answered. Christ was God and condescending to be made flesh. He assumed humanity and became obedient unto death that he might undergo infinite sacrifice. If only Pilate had recognized it. He asked a pretty good question. Pilate said to him, what is truth? We might be wondering that. What is truth? I long to know more about Jesus. I want to understand. I want to dig through the Bible. I want to understand more about God. What is truth anyway? How do I find the right truth? He asked a good question. But he missed the most important question. The question is not, what is truth? The question is, who is truth? And that is the infinite God of the universe who humbled himself to become a human being and was obedient to the point of death. 
Pilate doesn't stay to listen to the answer. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, notice this, I find no fault in him. He saw it. He recognized who Jesus was. He was the perfectly loving being. He was the human who had finally lived out this perfect love. And yet he didn't recognize that that was the truth. And he walked away from Jesus. It's heartbreaking to see that happen. Like I told you, Tasha Trafford, she got married in 2012. But not long after that, she was diagnosed with bone cancers. And her dreams of becoming a mother were crashed. But she decided to go through chemotherapy. And as she went through chemotherapy... She would go back for tests periodically. And the news came back finally that she was cancer free. They didn't know if it would come back or not, but they said, for now, your scans are totally clear. You don't have bone cancer right now. There's so much joy in her heart. She went and told her husband and, and they said, okay, now we can do our dream. We can start a family together. And it was a difficult process for them, but when they finally were able to get pregnant, Tasha was 16 weeks pregnant when she got the news. Now, those of you who are mothers here this morning, I just want to say, it may not be true of every mother, but I've seen it from my own mom, that God has planted in mothers a little piece of who he is, of self-sacrificing love. Like that video talked about, a mother has to give up their, their body. They have to, I can't tell you how inspiring it is to watch the newest mother in my life take care of my little girls. To watch her wake up at all hours of the night just so that she can be there for the babies. Thankfully they're sleeping through the night now, but she's still working to make sure they have enough to eat. Willing to do anything to protect those babies. And even in nature we recognize that you don't mess with a mother. If, if you see a cub, if you see a baby cub, you, you don't mess with that cub because the mother is around there somewhere. Recently, one of you told me about how you saw a mountain lion cub near your house. And you immediately called your wife and said, don't go outside or don't go around because there's probably a mother somewhere nearby. There's something special about a mother. There's something self-sacrificing about a mother. A mother will do whatever it takes to protect their child. At least that's the way I believe God designed it. And this morning, if you didn't have that kind of a mother, I want you to be assured that God wants to be all that you need in your life. He wants to, it says, set the lonely in families. It says in Psalms, uh, and he wants to be that for you. It says, in fact, in Isaiah, as a mother comforts their child, so your God will comfort you. So if you haven't seen that in your mother, that's okay. But back to Tasha. So Tasha, she finally is pregnant. And 16 weeks into the pregnancy, she goes to get another scan. And in that scan, she gets the report from the doctors that the bone cancer has come back. And they tell her, they, she said it this way. They were really blunt with me. They said, it's your life or the life of the baby. We recommend that you abort this little 16-week-old fetus and that you have chemotherapy, and there's a chance that you will be able to live. She didn't even have to think about it. She said, no, I want to be a mother. I want for this child to live. 
So she went through that pregnancy. As the bone cancer was growing in her, she also had a beautiful child growing in her. A little boy who she named John. She said it was the oddest thing to think about it. Here I've got cancer growing and I've got this beautiful child forming in me. She was in pain. She couldn't take all the pain medications. She couldn't do the chemotherapy. She couldn't know all that's happening because you couldn't run too many tests. But finally, she made it through the pregnancy and little John was born. And she said, as John was placed in my arms, I think he gave me a kiss as I cuddled him. She said she had no regrets. She was only hoping to live until his first birthday. But 11 months in, she passed away. She'd given her life so that little John could live. Friends, that's just a tiny glimmer of what the God of the universe has done in becoming human and living a perfect life and offering to you salvation full and free, offering to be your way, your truth, and your life, and laying his life down on the cross because he loved you. And he said, I want them to live. I want for them to have life. If you have to choose, if, if Satan's choice is right, and there's a choice between God and humans living, I choose humans. And he laid down his life on the cross for you. I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. I'm beginning to determine, like Paul, that I will know nothing except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified because there's nothing else that we really need. I love this little devotional book, Maranatha, page 99. It says this, Will not our church members keep the eye fixed on a crucified and risen Savior in whom their hopes of eternal life are centered? This is our message Right? So this is the message that we have to share with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family members, with the people that, that don't understand about God. Our message is, look to Jesus and Jesus crucified. This is our message. This is our argument. You want to get in an argument with somebody? Tell them how much their God loves them. Tell them about the God who is willing to take on human flesh and go to the cross for them. Please argue about that. More than you argue with them about what day they should be worshiping on. Start there and through that it will become more and more apparent the beauty of the law that he laid down his life for. And in that we come to the realization of a beautiful creator who laid down his life for us. And what do you know? The Bible says that the way that we can have that closer relationship with that creator, the way that we can delight in him, as Isaiah 58 says, is on the seventh day Sabbath. That will come, but start with Jesus. And as you share other things with people, end with Jesus. Because that is the point of all of our doctrines, all our messages, every argument that we have. This is our message, our argument, our doctrine, our warning to the impenitent, our encouragement to the sorrowing, the hope for every believer. If we can awaken an interest in men's minds that will cause them to fix their eyes on Christ, we may step aside and ask them only to continue to fix their eyes upon the Lamb of God. He whose eyes are fixed on Jesus will leave all. He will die to selfishness. He will believe in all the Word of God, which is so gloriously and wonderfully exalted in Christ.
Friends, for myself, I've got to just fix my eyes on Jesus. And I've got to invite everybody around me. You've, you've got to see how awesome Jesus is. You've got to look to the Savior. He laid down his life for you because he loves you more than his own existence. This kind of God deserves to be worshipped. And here's the relationship that I found with him. And that, my friends, is attractive. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except for through Jesus. So any other way that I'm going on, any way that I'm gritting my teeth and trying on my own strength to become a good Christian, I'm missing the point because Jesus is the way. But not only that, Jesus is the truth. So any truth that I have, that does not begin and end with Jesus is missing the point. And so I need to go back to my Bible and I need to reanalyze, I need to relook at it and say, Jesus, would you show me yourself here and how this brings me to knowing you. Friends, this is what it's all about. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And this morning, I don't know where you're at. There's some of us here today who don't know Jesus for ourselves. And if that's where you're at this morning, I don't want you to walk out of here without saying, Jesus, this is really beautiful. I want to know you more. I want to just invite everybody to bow your heads as you think about maybe where you're at with Jesus this morning. Maybe you're at that place of saying, Jesus, I've never really tried that relationship out for myself, but I want to get to know you. Practical steps in doing that were talked about in the All About Jesus seminar. Take time in reading the Gospels and reading the Bible and asking to see Jesus. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in sharing about Jesus. But this morning, I imagine that there may be two other groups of people here. And you can continue to keep your head bowed as you think about this. Is this where I'm at, Jesus? On the one hand, there may be some of us like the scribes and the Pharisees. We've been searching the scriptures and not recognizing that they all lead us to Jesus. We have a lot of truths in our mind this morning, but if we're honest with ourselves, they don't lead us to know Jesus. And so we need to, to revisit those things. We need to, to, to dig in a little bit deeper. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us in all the Bible because that is what it's all about. And there may be another group of us here this morning who says, yeah, it's about Jesus and Jesus crucified, so I don't need the rest of the Bible. But Jesus is so clear. He says, all of this testifies about me. All of this truth is a transcript of who I am. So this morning, maybe you're at the place of recognizing, I need to see Jesus in bigger ways. I need to recognize him throughout Scripture. I need to to find out why all of this is here, preserved for me to see Jesus more clearly. Wherever you're at this morning, just want to invite you just to bow your heads, just to offer up a simple prayer and to say, Jesus, I'm willing to be made willing to fix my eyes on you. I'm willing to fix my eyes, Jesus. Would you please help me to see more and more of you? Would you help me to recognize that there is no other way, that there is no other truth, that there is no life outside of you? Jesus, I want to fall in love with you. Just take a moment between you and Jesus just now and ask him to help you fall more deeply in love with him.
Father, I just thank you in faith this morning that there's not a heart in this building that you're not tugging on. You're pounding at the door just wanting to come in and be friends with us. Longing to show us more and more of how good you are. Longing to give us a better life. Father, I pray that we would not walk out of here without accepting that invitation and without asking you to help us to share that invitation with everyone in this world. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.